0: do you know what the largest trade association is in america since you're a listener of this podcast you probably guessed the national association of realtors known as n-a-r or n-a-r and you are absolutely right NAR boasts more than 1.5 million members, including NAR's institutes, societies, and councils involved in all aspects of residential and commercial real estate. Hello and welcome to the CRE with Coal Banker Commercial Worldwide podcast. My name is Christina Ballas, the National Director of Strategic Implementation for CBC, and I'll be your host. Today, I am joined by two commercial real estate brokers that are passionate about the industry and believe that involvement in and work within trade, advocacy, and lobby groups to influence policy is important to them, but should also be important to you. D. Scott McLean, CCIM of Huntsville, Alabama, is principal and managing broker at Banker Commercial McLean Real Estate. Scott is a retail developer, advocate for downtown redevelopment, and proponent of adaptive reuse of existing real estate improvements. McLean graduated from Duke University with a degree in public policy, and he holds a Juris Doctor degree from Cumberland School of Law. He's also a graduate of the Harvard University Graduate School of Design Advancement Management Development Program, AMDP. Scott is clearly very active in professional, civic, cultural, political, and charitable organizations at the local, state, and national levels as a speaker, board member, and participant. I have been lucky enough to have had deep and meaningful conversations with Scott and his lovely wife, Yolanda, about advocacy and involvement through the years. And in June of this year, Scott was lobbying on Capitol Hill with other ICSE members and the National Retail Real Estate Association. My next guest, Kimberly Eiler Morgan, is a commercial real estate broker in Savannah, Georgia, for over 15 years. She is skilled in dispositions, investment properties, real estate development, commercial real estate, and working with investors as Kim started her career in banking. She is a 2022 Cobalt Banker Commercial Top 2 professional, and through meetups at the NARC5 Summit for the past few years, she has become a good friend. She has been an inspiration to other women in the industry, but if you find her on LinkedIn, you will notice that she is also wildly modest, which I hope to inspire you to do a little more humble bragging on your profile after today, Kim. Currently, she is the NAR director for her state chapter, and on February 15th of this past year, at the request of the Georgia Association of Realtors president, Kim Eiler Morgan testified in front of the House Small Business Development Committee on behalf of the Commercial Alliance. They spoke on the increasing difficulty of buying and selling property, especially affordable property. Wow. Welcome, you two. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Delighted to be here. Thank
0: you for having us. Well, why don't we start off with why each of you joined trade associations in the first place and why you think others in the commercial real estate industry should join as well. Whoever wants to kick off.
1: Trade organizations, when you're in business, are a way to meet people and learn things more so than you do in your office, in your regular routine. And it's important to be exposed to different people and different ways of accomplishing the work that you're trying to do. And trade organizations typically are very happy to provide resources to help you do a better job. But as important is meeting people and creating opportunities from those invitations and uh, introductions to do business and make friends. Um, So a trade organization can be a great source of business and business strategy, business techniques, and business success, as well as friends. But there's another aspect to it that we'll talk about in a few minutes, and that's what you give back to the organization.
0: Absolutely. That's a really great perspective, Scott. And what about you, Kim? What made you interested in joining I
2: would certainly echo uh, exactly what Scott said in terms of the networking piece and the, the availability of others that are in your different organizations and your different expertise. It gives you an opportunity to find those that you may need to collaborate with on certain projects. It opens a, a whole new world of networking that is not just available within your local vicinity. It it increases your horizons. It, it cre- increases the network ability, as I originally said, but also the the fact of what you can bring to the table based on your area and such as Scott and his area and others that we've met across the states and, and across the world, quite frankly. So let's talk about
0: that giving back piece. So for me, I think of it as advocacy when I when I think of those trade organizations. But What kind of give backs to our industry are you guys talking about? Is it the advocacy and policy route or is there other places that I haven't thought of?
1: It depends on how you like to participate and there are many ways to give back. Uh, In most organizations, there's an educational component. So you can teach and you can take classes. You can both give and take in that regard. In others, there are uh, local ways that the organization helps the community in some fashion. And that may be your passion. A way that I have uh, been involved in some organizations is through the public policy aspect, the public policy aspect is bigger than we are. There is a saying that is tossed around at meetings that if you're not at the table, then you're on the menu and showing up and being represented, represented as an organization at the state, local, and national levels will mean that perhaps you are protected in your organization and in your industry. So I have been interested in the public policy aspects through a couple of the organizations to which I belong. And I think there's great opportunity to participate there and to try to shape our our laws and how those laws affect our business.
0: That's really, uh, I love that quote. If you're not at the table, you're on the menu. So true. You know, Kim, what Where did you jump into? Were you similar to Scott where you were already interested in policy and that's what you decided to do? Did you just, you know, join as a member and see where the need
2: was? So I would say for me, it was a little different. I kind of took a look around to say where where am I most needed and what will bring the most value to what I'm trying to accomplish within my profession? And one of the things that I felt very strongly about was our our local chapter of government affairs uh, from a local standpoint in in getting in front of our local politicians, but took it a step further and became involved with our local chamber and government affairs. And then from there uh, on the state level through our um, state organization, the Georgia Association of Realtors. And it has been a great tool in order to find and advocate for items that we know within our industry could be in jeopardy perhaps we can offer uh, experience from what we have gone through within certain deals and and what has been accomplished or what has not been accomplished i think it's great to advocate for policy just as um, scott said but within our own industries and locally You get a lot of respect around the state when in fact you know what you're talking about and you can't know what you're talking about unless you get involved and it's easy for someone to vote something yes or no but there's some form of advocacy behind that and why that person is voting for that they need to know the ins and outs of why they're not boots on the ground like we are and i think it's important for us to get the message out so that they in in turn do protect what we are fighting for whether it be private property rights on the personal component or the professional commercial component
1: i think that's a, a terrific point and one that i want to amplify and that is that we have elected leaders who are not necessarily in our industry and their measures that become that come before our elected leaders and before government that seem to make sense uh, to people who don't otherwise know exactly how they affect us. For example, one that is regularly on the table, though not, not right this minute at the national level, is maybe we do away with the Internal Revenue Code Section 1031, Tax-Deferred Exchange. This, as we know in the industry, is a very critical component and one of the last things left, it seems, that gives us a time limit for to make a deal and to make a deal happen. And that is there certain time parameters within which you have to do certain things if you're going to take advantage of section 1031 of the Internal Revenue Code and defer your taxes when you sell a property. Well our elected officials may not understand that significance and how important that is to our business and therefore we have to tell them and we have to explain them and we have to do this routinely. There are other examples with how the Americans with Disabilities Act affects properties and owners and then uh, another one that is more on the table now and it's frightening is taxing a partner's interest in a transaction as ordinary income as opposed to um, capital gains even though they may have been greatly at risk for a number of years uh, to accomplish a particular goal elected officials don't always know how this works and that's why being involved in these organizations is good for your own individual business as well as the collective business of the industry. Because we explain to elected officials who may be pharmacists and doctors and lawyers and others who don't know about these particular applications, how they really work and what they can do to our economy if they're changed.
2: Well said.
0: Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. For me, um, I'd like to dig into the 1031 exchange, because maybe that's easier since it was, I guess it was kind of dealt with a couple of year year ago, two years ago, uh, with NAR being a huge advocate, but it might be something easy to explain to our listeners. So I guess maybe for the layperson, when you talk about getting rid of the 1031 exchange, someone that's not in the industry, they might think, well, good. I mean, why should somebody get a loophole to like move their tax money away? Can somebody talk me through how something that seems maybe flippant to the average person that's not in our industry and like, oh, yeah, whatever, who cares? Like, why is that? Why does how would that affect not just brokers, but the whole industry? Like, Can you help me follow through with that?
1: Yes. People make real estate decisions based on tax laws and on income and on neighborhoods and analysis of tenants and all sorts of factors. But tax is an important aspect of commercial real estate investment. And under the 1031 exchange which that is the name of a code section it's got a million sections and one Mm -hmm. of them has happens to be 1031 and we we call it section 1031 uh, because that's its name uh, but but there's no other mathematical significance to it then that's the name of that particular section in the code and that says that if you own a piece of property and you sell it as long as you put your proceeds with an appropriate caretaker of the money for a period of time and you don't touch it at closing, then you have a certain amount of time within which you can trade that money into a new asset and not pay taxes on the sale that you just made. Now, the reason why this is important is many people will say, oh, I can't sell the property because I can't afford the taxes. If I sell this, I'm gonna have to pay a third in taxes and so I'm not gonna sell it, I'm not going to work in the economy. I'm not going to generate that income. I'm not going to facilitate this new use of this property. I'm going to sit on it because the taxes are chilling my interest in selling. And with a section 1031 exchange, so long as you very specifically follow these precise rules and the day means the day and five o'clock means five o'clock. But as long as you follow those rules, then you can defer your tax. You're still going to pay the tax. You're just not going to pay it on this sale today you're going to pay it when you sell the next time but this may encourage you to go ahead and sell the property and that transfer of the property that that motion in the market that circulation of money that circulation of ownership is important to our economy and it drives innovation and drives new uses and it drives new investment and 1031 is therefore encouraging our economy to go forward and to stay active as opposed to sit because somebody says, I can't afford the taxes and I'm not going to do anything.
2: I think a deeper dive into that also um, on another sidebar of that is the fact that someone may be able to 1031 into a property that maybe needs some improvements, that they have some other capital that they can put into it and that it grows at a good rate for them, but they're improving a property that maybe just to the average person purchasing would not be able to make those improvements or would not make those improvements. And I think from a, one of the assets that I've tried to promote in that is from the local level, the amount of jobs that a 1031 can create when a person is buying say an old building that has not been at its highest and best use. And they employ construction workers to make the improvements they take the improvements and make it a better facility that provides housing, that provides restaurants for people to eat, jobs. So I think it's the big picture that you really have to look at, not just the, you know, the fact that someone's going to be able to shelter some of their capital gains. I think that the 1031 certainly helps create jobs. It helps create additional wealth for those outside of the 1031 and it's very important to the commercial industry in, and in what we do every day and improving properties.
1: So back to one of the points that we're talking about, why do you become involved in organizations? Because again, quite often our elected officials don't understand what we just said, they don't know that they just says, this looks like a loophole. They're getting a break. You know, they're all rich anyway. All, all it is is easy money and real estate piece of cake, uh, happens in a snap, why don't we give them that break? The reason why we give them give us that break and we give the market that break is all these reasons that we've discussed. And those are important for our economy. They're public policy decisions that are not simply, well, I see a loophole. Let's cut out a loophole. It's not really a loophole. It is a means to accomplish a goal that the economy and actually when the government thinks about wants to foster within our economy.
0: Absolutely. I love that in both of your activism through our associations, you know, Scott, you hit on kind of some macro ideas and Kim, so did you, but also you took it down to that local level, to that restaurant owner in your town too, that will benefit from, you know, just people coming and working and eating, you know, at their diner or whatever it is. I think that it's great to think of the full story beginning to end. And I think could help motivate or inspire somebody to get involved because there's a place for involvement in whatever interests you if you're really passionate about you know your local main street these policies affect you and you can um advocate on its behalf you can you know work at a township or you know county level state level but if you want to work on something grander there's also you know national level politics and um, lobbying that needs to happen how do you get over the concept that lobbying sometimes is a dirty word
1: (laughs) well Maybe it is, but that is the, the way our sausage of government is made. Totally. So I wouldn't say that lobbying is a dirty word. I would, I would say that our process of governing is based on judgment and compromise and need and conflict and difference of opinion. Um, so if it's dirty in some people's mind, it's only because there's not universal agreement. But there's really not not universal agreement on anything.
2: That's so um, true.
1: And so when you lobby, you're showing up in an organized fashion and saying you're representing uh, to whomever you're addressing that you have interest in and knowledge about a particular area that the government is uh, addressing, and you'd like to comment and and represent your position and offer to the elected officials knowledge that they don't know, you know. People who are in elected office don't read all the bills. The bills are forever. Uh, They can't know and we can't know and we don't read them either. So there's all this stuff that nobody's reading but except lawyers when it ultimately goes to court and judges. And so as we are um, there, I think we're actually providing a service in some of the poorer states like Alabama, lobbyists are sometimes the only people that advise the elected officials because they have the ability to staff and pay people to study the laws and say what they are so i wouldn't say lobbying is dirty it's just a a part of the process of achieving compromise and and moving forward in government
2: scott i have to agree completely because i think it's that education tool that we are always looking for that giving the information, the information that has been researched as to why they are lobbying for. What are the pros? What are the cons? And I think this is the opportunity. It also gives folks an opportunity to agree to disagree. And anytime you're lobbying for something while you are are pitching for what you want, there are other sides that show you why this should be included. And I think it's important that everyone at the table takes a look at that. And i that's where I think the value in lobbying is. I will tell you the Georgia Association of Realtors, we have some of the finest lobbyists in the land, and they certainly advocate for personal property rights, regardless of what side you sit on. There is, there is no red, there is no blue in the state of Georgia when it comes to the Georgia Association of Realtors lobbyists. And that is one reason I take great pride in being a part of that, because it we can agree to disagree, but at the end of the day, we are protecting the private property rights. Kim, that's such a,
0: um, that's such a poignant thing to point out. Also, I think some people get nervous about, or I don't know, apprehensive maybe is a better word, but about joining an advocacy group because they just don't want to deal with being involved in politics, right? Like that's a turnoff for a lot of people. And so I think it's important to know that when you work with your local uh, associations, it's very goal focused for the industry as opposed to getting quote unquote involved in politics. At least that's my perception of, of of what I what I read and hear.
2: But would you agree that I got that right? <laughs> I, I would agree because it does seem at times that you have to choose one side or the other. And I think this certainly changes that. I know you and I were together recently. You heard my husband say, You rub shoulders with politicians all you want, just don't become one. <laughs>
1: Well, well, politics is politics, and politics is conflict and compromise. And the people who say, I don't want to be involved with it because it's uh, unseemly or distasteful or conflicting, those are reasonable responses. However, I take you back to being on the menu. If you're not there to help make the decisions, then the laws will be formed and you'll read about them And probably not until you're in the process of doing something and somebody says well you know there's a law that says you can't do that and you say well when did that come around well you know there were public hearings there was discussion there was all sorts of focus on it you weren't there you didn't participate so therefore you have less room to complain and it's quite often those people that say it's unseemly and i don't want to play in that sandbox who are the ones who complain the loudest when something happens and it affects them in a way that they don't like.
0: What a great exclamation point I would put on that is the concept of participating. I am a big advocate for participation, whether it's participating and being mindful in your life, uh, with your kids, with your job, but really participating. So uh, not being a victim of the situation and being informed and involved in whatever that is that you love. So uh, we are grateful that the two of you have found your passion and love within our industry so that you can help and represent the industry in moving it forward and keeping it and making it better. So I'd love to talk to both of you about your experience, your recent experiences here at the Capitol. Uh, I know each of you had very different experiences for different reasons. So whoever wants to kick off, but I'd love to learn about what got you there. What was the policy that was at the table and what was your part in it?
1: I've been going to the International Council of Shopping Centers, now known as simply as ICSC uh and the washington now known as federal fly-in for maybe 15 years um the program for this uh particular interaction is the first day is briefings by elected officials policy people icsc people on what's going on and then the second day uh, we break up into our state delegations and we typically have three issues and we go to as many of our delegation with assigned appointments as we can and we meet with either the member or staff and we have basically 12 minutes and we have divided up our uh, talking points and they'll typically be three of them and we go in and we give a push and we have some paper to back it up and we have some resources to back up the paper but the point is that we are constituents of those elected people. And when constituents show up in the offices of elected people, they pay attention because constituents are also voters, and they might even be contributors. If I try to go to Georgia, I'm going to have less influence than if I go to an Alabama elected official because they'll say, in Alabama, they say, you're one of mine, yes, and I can talk about local stories. I can talk about local properties. I can talk about things that they know people that they know and how it affects their district. So it's always fun. And you end up with a personal relationship with the members and the staff and you're advancing well researched, well documented, well taught to you and your team positions that need to be understood and by Congress. So it's fun and it's effective and they tell us we're effective and they pay attention and they take notes. Uh, So we don't feel like we're wasting our time when we do this. We feel like we're actually being helpful to the cause.
0: Absolutely. What was, um, what was the big concept in your conversation? Are you allowed to share what you went? Sure.
1: Let's see if I can name all three. Um, or, (laughs) well, I I can give you some flavor of what we've been doing for, for 20 years, we worked on what is now known as streamlined sales and use tax what some people might say, internet sales tax. Uh, what could be actually also described as a, a tax on transactions that are done over the internet as opposed to in physical stores. For a long time, uh, the internet was a new thing and you know we need to give it a break and we needed to be nice to the internet and internet sales. And then after a while we said, you know, in Alabama as I recall, we have a $300 million deficit in the state and if we were collecting internet sales tax at the appropriate rate, we would, we would completely fund that $300 million deficit in a year. Uh, that was a pretty important point. We worked on it for 20 years and we finally got that done. Another point that is regular is the Americans with Disability Act. The idea there is that there are laws and restrictions on how the physical environment must be built and operated so that people who are disabled Can access places easily and comfortably. The way it works in application is there are lawyers who will find a plaintiff someplace in America and quite often use Google to determine whether there are strikes in the parking lot or lifts in the swimming pool and file suit against people based on that not with the idea of their affecting change but the idea of settling for about five thousand dollars per suit and that happens routinely Uh, one of my friends said yeah they went down the street they got nine of our properties it cost forty five thousand dollars to make them all go away well that didn't do a thing to help the handicapped people uh all it did was enriched the plaintiff and and the lawyers who were doing that there is not a cure period so if if I've got a situation in a building that I own, and it's non-compliant with the Americans with Disabilities Act, and somebody brings that to my attention, I should have 90 days to fix it. Because if I have that time to fix it, then it will actually get fixed and, and solve the problem. But the way it is, you file a suit, and then you say, well, you could say if you were callous, perhaps, well, it's gonna cost $10,000 to fix the problem. I can make the suit go away for five, so just pay five and leave it like it is. And so it doesn't accomplish the goal. That's the kind of issues that we talk about. And as you understand, we've come to understand it, and we can explain it in terms that the elected people and their staffs can understand, so that when it comes before them, they can say, well, yeah, I know what it says, but, there are actually nuances that we need to clear up. Uh, mm. There are others that are somewhat more complex, the carried interest, which is what I said, when a partner has a share, not the not the, the the sweat equity partner, not the money partner. The money partner gets a return routinely. The sweat equity partner gets a return way down the road. Could be years. Well, that sweat equity return is called a carried interest. And right now it's tagged as, taxed as capital gains, as it should be, because in in my case, I'm going to get paid 23 years after I started. That ought not be ordinary income. And if it was ordinary income, then I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to be involved with that enterprise. It's not worth it. The tax tax rate there is enough to chill me completely and say, I won't do that economic development. Those are the sorts of things that we talk about at the national level.
0: So interesting. Switching like truly, I mean, I that's, I can probably talk about each one of these and especially I think next what you're going to talk about, Kim, too, just in much greater detail. But for the sake of the podcast, Kim, do you want to tell us about um, what took you to the Capitol?
2: So in in terms of, of my visit, we were there to talk about both residential and commercial updates within our industries and commercial being my specialty, I was able to bring out while the the Uh, president before me that spoke spoke about the need for attainable housing affordable housing what is that definition what does that mean and and how it's so needed in so many areas not it's not just isolated to certain parts of the country Uh, and the fact that the cost there's no such thing as a first-time home buyer anymore and while all that resonated in the residential world and were facts that they were on the edge of their seat listening to What I spoke about was how do we reach that development? What about the infrastructure that has to go in place to put a subdivision in to to make commercial buildings, uh, the wetlands issues that we are faced with in our region along the coast and and what has happened to a lot of projects that you had, you know, 64 acres of developable land and now you only have 40 and it's $510,000 an acre to mitigate where do those costs come into play and do they make these properties now uh not feasible to develop i think it was very eye-opening also to understand about the infrastructure issues that are around the state you know we take water and sewer for granted uh in the united states and we have a real problem in a lot of areas especially the way in which the movement is going along the Southeast with the Hyundai plant that's come online and the need that we have for more warehousing, the need we have for more manufacturing facilities. But in addition, we need more housing, we need more grocery, we need more retail. And in developing that, where is the water and sewer coming from? And some of these smaller municipalities that are in rural areas do not have the funding in order to implement that. And it's creating a lot of impact fees in a lot of areas and it's causing the cost to to rise even more. And is this a, a state, something that the state can help? Is this a federal uh, issue within the infrastructure bill that we hear so much about? Where are we with that? And I think that is one of the biggest pieces of what we're trying to tackle now is what what does infrastructure look like? And when you have the YIMBYs and the nimbies of yes, in my backyard and no, not in my backyard, I think it's important that these things help us educate the public into what it takes in order to have a sustainable city, a sustainable community in terms of you have to have a certain amount of property tax in order to maintain your roads and infrastructure and your fire and police. But you're not going to get that on the backs of your taxpayers in just a bedroom community. You have to have commercial infrastructure and commercial businesses to offset that.
0: So important. Uh, that is also what I think is important. So what I, what I said in my uh, opening is that you and I met at uh, the NAR C5. And I think that it's great to see NAR put more, I shouldn't say more concentration because they've always been an advocate for commercial, but just more awareness on the commercial space. And the fact that you're advocating on behalf of the commercial sector of real estate, I think is really important. And I, if I could impress on any of our listeners that are in the commercial real estate space. If what Scott talks about is interesting and you're uh, you know thinking about shopping centers and ICSC, absolutely reach out to Scott or Kim is always there to talk to anyone that wants to get involved locally. But what's important I think is understanding that there's not as many, I think, people in the commercial real estate industry as there are in the residential space. And by default, there are less vocal advocates for the commercial industry. And so I think that if anyone listening wants to get involved, you know, reach out and, and let us know or, you know, reach out to your local chapters because it's it's wildly important work that we're doing, that they're doing. Um, I'd like to
1: emphasize that and yeah. say that in ICSC there are about, I think we're currently at about 40,000 members and the Washington meeting is typically attended by 100 and there are 100 people that will spend that time and those two days to do this work.
0: Wow. Well. Yeah, definitely need more helping hands. That sounds uh, like a great place for people to spend their energy if that's what they're interested in, for sure. Besides what you all worked on at the Capitol this year, is there a specific area in the commercial real estate space that really you think needs our listeners' attention? You know, what what is there? Uh, is there something burning that you're thinking, oh gosh, people really need to pay attention to this one issue?
1: You're asking about something that is... a uh... General interest, and yes. really, a lot of these are are more specific. And I'm having a hard time initially coming up with something that would be interesting to most folks. Other, you know, I would defer to Kim if there's an issue that she's emphasized, and that is, I would say, individual property rights and the whole conflict and tension between government regulation and private ownership and private freedom to do things. There's that general tension uh, in our society. And that's why we have government is because we want some regulation, but the question is how much and where, and that would apply to really everybody. Whereas the Americans with Disability Act, applies to some people, if you're a partner in a transaction and how you're taxed, that applies to specifics, the internet sales tax uh evened the playing field uh and that applied to a great deal of our population and i think we understand it you know a sale is a sale is a sale uh regardless of the means and there are lots of reasons but it took us 20 years of talking about that to make it happen so i'd I'd defer to kim and say that the uh, private interest versus the government regulation would be probably the largest um, overall
2: I, I certainly agree, Scott, and I do think that you can become involved if it, if you're hesitant about becoming involved, just start attending some meeting, uh, attend a council meeting, a county commission meeting, get involved from there, get involved with your local chamber of commerce, uh, but I would encourage you for your state associations, your, your local uh, associations, but especially within NAR, the advocacy that is there for commercial brokers, I think is uh, not touted enough. I, I think that there are avenues that you can reach within your state and national association that maybe times because commercial is such a small piece of the, the brokerage world that we're not always privy to the items that are there for us. And again, I think that goes right back down to the private property rights of whomever and, and how those are advocated for. We, we did um, locally here, we had an opportunity within our state association and local association here on the ground to help in promoting TSPLOST, the transportation special local option sales tax, and e-commerce, just as Scott has touched on. And those were things that we partnered as a local board, a state board in our chamber, in order to help promote into an area and educate the public of why you needed to get out and vote for T-SPLOST. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that you ha- you def- definitely have to find what you're passionate about. It's not for everyone. Um, and you do have to have a lot of patience and agree to disagree. But again, you're there to make a difference and you're there to enhance your, your professional way in which you do business. And it's advocacy, advocacy, advocacy.
0: Kim, just because I know a little bit of, kind of your background from other interactions of ours did you get involved with gar or with your local chapters or your chamber because of a client and a transaction that illuminated like an issue to you or were you involved uh at the before any of that kind of came up and then you know just happened to be that you could better articulate why certain
2: you know points are important so that's twofold for me, because what I'll say is that I, I definitely within my industry paid attention to things just outside of the transaction. So many people just look at the transaction and so many people like to judge us by the transaction. But there are so many components to the transaction of how you put that transaction together and how in which it works. So I, I did have a complicated transaction that I kind of started looking to uh, leaders within local um, commissioners for some advice, city managers, how do we handle this? Planners, where do we go from here? And one of the biggest things was in Savannah, we actually uh, had a new, um, new unified zoning ordinance. It actually took 20 years to put together and the realtors were very much at the forefront of looking and digging through that. We had attorneys digging through. NAR became involved, the state became involved because there were things, just as Scott touched on in the beginning, that affected our business. If you had a, a building and you uh, it had been in your family for generations operating as say a, a gas station and it burned down and that may not be able to be built there again based on the new comprehensive plan. So there are things that affect you in, in many different ways. And I think if you're gonna be effective in your field, you need to be a part of some form of advocacy. And I'm, I'm thankful that my local state and the National Association have certainly stepped up where commercial is concerned, and and we see more of that in the forefront now. And Scott, just to be
0: fair, I made I'm making assumptions, so I should let you speak on it. But I'm making assumptions that you were always interested in policy, being that you went to school for policy and that was like always ingrained in you. But did was there a transaction or a client that you met along your commercial real estate um, experience that made you say, you know what, it's time to marry my love for policy with my current role?
1: I can't think of a particular uh, transaction, but I can think of hundreds because it seems to affect all of them. Uh, wetlands, Kim mentioned, uh, we have a lot of water in our world. Uh, I think Alabama has 10% of the nation's rivers, uh, which is going to prove very valuable as we go forward in time. But flood is a major issue. and That is one that affects transactions and policy affects flood a lot. And The waters of the United States is the way water is defined and there are rules about it and they're significant. And then we have slope ordinances where we have colloquial soil which is not stable and therefore if if there's a percent grade of a slope you can't build on it or you have to comply with restrictions and such and that can affect the transaction and then zoning of course is government and zoning affects many transactions for properties that are in municipalities. Or no zoning is a policy issue and that affects properties that aren't in a municipality. So what do you mean you're putting a pigsty next to my house? Well, there's no zoning, I can do what I want. That's a policy issue. Uh, so it, it affects all transactions and once you understand the breadth of the transactions and what you're dealing with, you see that policy affects so many things. As I say the commercial about commercial real estate, people who are interested in pursuing it, there's just a lot to know. There is so much to know, and the policy piece is one of them. You don't know that the government won't let you do that. You don't know that they won't let you put a turn lane or a a access onto a road within 300 feet of a stoplight. You don't know all of these rules that affect the value of a property, affect its marketability, and there's just a lot to know. Um, You don't know that if a property um, doesn't have the right size staircases, then it can't be used for assembly, or you you can't use it for residential, and maybe it's an obsolete building and you can't change the staircase. Well, you have to know that policy rule to know that 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 building that looks great and like it may be a wonderful conversion to residential, Well, you can't because the staircases aren't adequate for fire safety and there's no real reasonable way to build them. So that's another policy application to a building and how it works. They're everywhere. They're constant. It's an every deal. And once you recognize that, then you try to learn as much about policy and about these rules because they affect your advice and your counseling to clients, as well as your own personal decisions and investing. So as I got in organizations and I found that they had excellent policy uh, groups that were teaching me things and bringing um, me up to speed so I could be better at my job and my work, I got involved. And yes, I am an old policy guy from a long time, second generation perhaps at this point, but it really affects business. And if you ignore it because you find it unseemly, then you are not paying attention to the nuances that can influence valuation, timing, money, the whole works.
0: If that's not inspiration and motivation for me too, I'm not sure what else could be. But I uh, I thank you for really illuminating our audience on what you all have done for our industry. I thank you for what you all have done for our industry. But also, you know, I know you two very well and, and Kim shared a lovely story of how helpful spot you were to her. And Kim, I can share... Stories of how helpful you've been to me and other, you know, other folks in our network, specifically mentoring some, some of the women and, t- you know, having amazing conversations. But I want to give an opportunity for you all to to share how someone could reach out to you if they were, if, you know, if something they heard and they said, gee, I really want to know how I can do that in my local area, or where to get connected. Are you open to someone reaching out to you and what's the best way?
2: I would, I would definitely say reach out. I mean, because it certainly expands your horizons, it expands your knowledge, and and gives you much more in depth and value to you and your business. So certainly reach out if you have a question. And I, you can, you can find me on the CBC Worldwide uh, website. Certainly, text, email, phone. Text is always the way today. You'll get a quicker response, but certainly email as well. I'm available.
1: I have a philosophy that I take every meeting, and the reason why I take every meeting is because I'm going to learn something. If someone is interested in talking with me further and they have a question or a comment or an observation, I'm going to learn from that. Uh, Even if I know more about the topic than they do, they're going to tell me something that I need to know. I'm going to make a new connection. Uh, It may lead to something else. So I'm, I'm terribly receptive to engaging with anyone who would like to discuss any topic.
0: Well, thank you both very much. I will say, as just tying you know tying it all together for my top learnings from our conversation, you know, Kim, I think you highlighted so well on the way that being an advocate for the industry is just a way you can care about your clients' individual rights, properties, you know, prop- private property rights. I think you highlighted is a very important thing that our folks should pay attention to. And I think that, that that to me is a big is, is a big takeaway. And, you know, Scott, I'm going to repeat the quote. I, I was my favorite from the beginning of yours, which is, if you're not at the table, you are certainly on the menu. So involvement is key. And um, I hope everyone learned something uh, as I absolutely did from this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you liked what you heard today, don't forget to like, subscribe and follow. Thanks so much.